welcome back. So, today is going to be a very interesting topic. We're going to talk about a lovely, lovely lady. Um, well, yeah, she was lovely. Um, <laughs> named Kitty, uh, Kitty, sorry, Kitty Genovese. I may be saying that last name wrong, so. Um, yeah. Horrible murder. Horrible everything. Everything about it's bad. It happened in 1964 in Queens, New York. It was actually one of the most famous murder cases to come out of the New York City and into the national spotlight. And the reason for it is just insane. It wasn't because of the crime itself or the investigation, but the actual press coverage that alleged the murder. And there was a lot, and I mean a lot, of witnesses that just wouldn't come forth and basically refused to come to Kitty's defense at all. And it has been disproved over time, but not before it became a part of basically the lore of true crime and things like that. So definitely something interesting and I can't wait to tell you about it. So let's go ahead um, and get to the story. But first, an ad by me. So, here we go. So, oh lord, this is a lot to take in, a lot to talk about. This is actually one of my topics that I had to research in my history class. So, definitely something interesting. Also, if you hear what sounds like mall music behind me, I am very sorry. Um, I am walking around actually on my lunch break during this recording and for some reason the mall music today is extremely loud and I don't know why so if you hear that and it's annoying I'm very sorry um hopefully I'll be fixing that soon I do have a new microphone that will be coming in so you guys don't have to hear me record off of this beautiful earpiece that I've been using so Hopefully, it will sound a little bit better. Maybe, possibly, potentially. I don't know. We'll see. So, let's talk about it. <laughs> so, Kitty Kitty, I always say Kitty, and I don't know why. Kitty Junevese was returning from work um, around 2.30 a.m. on March 13th, 1964. She was approached by a man with a knife. And Jennifer actually ran towards her apartment and the man grabbed her before she got to her apartment door and literally starting stabbing her repeatedly while she was screaming. Yay. So a neighbor, um, this neighbor was named Robert Moser, yelled out his window to let that girl alone. 
and it actually caused the attacker himself to flee. Yay! <laughs> but, you know, um, Genevieve was actually seriously injured, and she crawled to the rear of her apartment building when she finally got in, and out of view from any possible witnesses. Um, ten minutes later, the attacker in question actually came back. And this time it was not good. It was very gruesome. Um, warning. She was stabbed again. Um, she was raped. And her money was stolen from her. So, not only was that horrible, it was made a lot worse due to not only her being stabbed, but her being physically assaulted as well. Um, she was found actually by a neighbor also, uh, by the name of Sophia Ferrar. That's a very hard name for me to say also. And she was found and the neighbor herself actually was screaming for someone to call the police. Police did arrive, um, but it took several, several minutes for them to get there, as it was in the middle of New York City. So, <laughs> unfortunately, New York City being very traffic-ridden made things a little bit more difficult in this case as well. Um, Genevieve's actually died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, which, again, absolutely horrible thing. Ow, that hurt. Sorry. <laughs> I'm actually standing outside while it's a little bit warmer out today. I'm sorry if you heard that horrible noise. That was me scooting the doorstop over. <laughs> so, yeah. So we have that. She, yeah. She unfortunately did not make it from this horrible occurrence. And the murder actually elicited a news report from the New York um, the New York Times so there's that as well nothing good happened in this time frame so let's talk about who exactly was Kitty um, Kitty was also her real name was Catherine Suzanne Genovese but her nickname was Kitty and she was born in Brooklyn New York on July 7th, 1935. Her parents' name was Vincent and Rachel Genovese. The oldest of the five children, um, she was actually a graduate of Prospect Heights High School, and she was remembered to be a very good student and was actually voted class cut-up in her senior year. Yay! <laughs> She graduated in 1953, um, and actually after the graduation, Genevieve's mother actually witnessed a murder in the streets, um, and it made the family want to move to a different location, so they decided to move to New Canaan in Connecticut. Kitty um, actually remained in New York City, though. She didn't want to leave New York. 
she had a good job as a secretary at an insurance company and was actually working nights at a place called Ev's 11th Hour, um, which is a bar in the Hollies neighborhood of Queens. And her first bartending job uh, went very well. She ended up moving up to a manager position and that prompted her to actually relocate herself to Queens. So, definitely interesting. <laughs> so, um, a decade later, later, Genevieve's actually met her girlfriend, Mary Ann Zilonko. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong as well. Zilonko. In a Greenwich Village nightclub. And the two actually went to move into an apartment together on the second floor. And it was actually uh, Kew Gardens in Queens. And at the time, it was considered a very peaceful, safe area. Um, Very normal. Nothing out of the ordinary happened there. It was always extremely safe. Um, None of the residents tended to have any complaints or anything. So, now, on to the investigation portion of it. So, it was about 4 a.m. when the police actually knocked on the door. And this all happened, you have to remember, around 2 a.m. So, we'll say about two hours between the incident and now. And... They actually informed her girlfriend, Zelanko, about the stabbing of and that she died. So it wasn't until around 7 a.m. that the detective, Mitchell Sang, arrived to actually question Zelanko. And she was being consoled. And she was drinking heavily at the time. And... She had her friend, who was also a neighbor by the name of Carl Ross, um, with her. Now, Sang General, who again was the um, investigator, found Mr. Ross, sorry, that's a loud noise again, <laughs> to be very intrusive uh, while questioning uh, her girlfriend. Which led to him being arrested. Yeah. Um, lovely. And he was actually arrested for disorderly conduct. Which is never, never good. Um, the saying also knew at the time that Genevieve's body was actually discovered laying at the bottom of the stairs that led to Ross's apartment. So, (laughs) on top of him being disorderly and everything else, this very much left him to be a suspect in the crime. Yay! So, later... um, There was another homicide detective by the name of John Carroll and Jerry Burns. They actually arrived and started grilling um, Zilanko, which again, you know, 
Um, they started grilling her about their relationship, about uh, when they moved in together, how they met, you know. Really started grilling them about pretty much everything that they can possibly grill. <laughs> um, which is, I mean, homicide it is kind of, unfortunately it is something that happens. Um, it is part of the questioning that you will get grilled. No matter if you're the good guy or if you're not. Um, so, that questioning actually took a really bad turn, though. And the homicide detectives started talking about their intimate lives. And the questioning and grilling lasted for over six hours. Um, extremely inappropriate. Extremely um, uncomfortable. Nobody should have to go through that. It was just, in general, very bad. Um, yeah. Much of the police uh, questioning and the neighbors revealed a preoccupation with a gay lifestyle. And Zilanko was then considered a subject. Mainly, uh, not subject, a suspect. This was mainly because, at the time, LGBTQ community was not accepted during this time. It was still very looked down upon. Um, even still to this day, it's looked down upon, unfortunately. But back then, it was looked down on a lot worse than it is now. This is something that, unfortunately, happens daily. Um, but back in these days, it happened probably ten times more than it does now. So... Later that week, uh, police got a call about a suspected robbery. Um, when the police showed up, they found a television in the trunk of the suspect's car. Um, nothing much of value. Um, no money, no jewelry, no anything like that. It was all, it was just a TV. And the man by the name of Winston Mosley was actually arrested and taken to the station where he did confess to stealing people's appliances many, many times. Um, he said that he suspects that he has stolen things over a dozen times before. And he did say that he does have a problem. So, Mosley actually drove a white Corvair car. And this actually really struck John um sorry John Tartaglia again I probably said that wrong <laughs> he was a detective at the time and he remembered one of the witnesses saying that Genevieve was being basically followed for a short time by this white car and one of the suspects actually reported seeing a white car at the time of the murder. Um, this was mentioned to Mr. Mosley, and nothing came about of it. Nothing really sparked interest. He didn't seem to react to any of it. So it was just kind of passed off, if that makes sense. So Tataglia actually called Detective... Carol and Sang again and they noticed that Mosley had a lot of scabs um, all over his hands all over his arms 
Um, pretty much everywhere this dude was covered in scabs that looked like scratch marks. Now, I mean, a lot of that can be taken to, you know, having animals, a hard work environment, um, things like that, but they really felt fishy about the whole situation, and they accused him of actually killing uh, Genevieve. Genevieve's. Genevieve's. I still can't say her name. <laughs> anyway, uh, Mosley replied that he had c- and confirmed information that only the murderer would know. So it was very, very interesting, needless to say. sound in the middle of this podcast is because my audio decided to stop recording halfway through. So this is actually um, another day that I'm recording this and I'm having to basically go back through and listen to everything that didn't record that I thought recorded. So (laughs) day two we'll call this. But let's continue on with the um, with the story. So um, we do know that Winston Mosley was arrested, and he was the only person who had any information that only the murderer would have known during this time frame. So, <laughs> needless to say, um, let's learn a little bit more about Winston Mosley. So. Uh, Mosley actually spotted Genovese at a traffic light while he sat in his parked car. And then he actually followed her back home. And he was actually driving, before doing this, he was driving around Queens. And during this time, while he was walking around, um... He was seen walking around the area. He was also seen driving around the area. He was just kind of seen everywhere, if that makes any sense. (laughs) But the whole reason for him doing this is that he was actually looking for a victim. He wasn't looking for anything other than that. He had absolutely zero motive for his attack. So it was at pure random, the person that he chose the reason that he did it, everything was completely 100% random. So he just woke up and was like, you know what I want to do? I want to kill someone today. And there was no other reason for it other than that he was just twisted and he wanted something to do like that. But yeah, uh, Mosley was actually married as well. And also had three children. And the weird thing about all this is Mosley never had a prior record of doing anything. Not even as much as a speeding ticket. This dude had like literally a completely 100% clean record. 
so <laughs> it was all extremely strange um, there was no rhyme or reason to it nothing he was completely 100% spotless so <laughs> later in the interrogation um, after he's been arrested you know all this good fun stuff he actually went to confess to several, several other rapes and two murders that would happen separately. And those people are by the name of Annie Mae Johnson and Barbara Kralik. So, yeah. <laughs> And again, like I said, completely spotless record. He had physically no reason to do this. None. Zero. Nada. <laughs> no reason. So, um, Mosley was actually sentenced to death on June 15th of 1964. And it was actually, at that point, um, it was actually reduced to a life sentence in 1967 unknown reason why it was lightened but he did still serve his time in jail for life so he would later claim that a mobster was the one who actually executed Genovese and he was only the getaway driver and Mosley's son <laughs> one of his children actually stated that he believes that Mosley attacked Genovese because she yelled racial slurs at him so you calculated both sides were they both good people not necessarily were they was that something that happened not necessarily you know it's kind of one of those things that he may have misheard something or she very well may have um, said some sort of racial slur but, in my opinion, <laughs> that does not give you a reason to kill someone. Um, as horrible as it is, and as bad as that is, to call someone names that are especially regarding to race, that still does not give a person a reason to go and commit such horrible crimes as the one that Mosley did. So, Mosley actually died in jail, um, quite recently, considering... In March 28th, a day after my birthday, um, 2016, at the age of 81 years old. So, he did definitely actually serve his sentence fully, and he was able to complete the um, life sentence located in jail. So... Yay! Fun things there, I guess. Um, <laughs> so this is where things get a little bit interesting in regards to the news coverage portion of it. So, as we all know, New York Times was the one that originally covered this story and was one of the first people to actually release a press statement about the murder itself. So, <laughs> and... March 27th of 1964, the New York Times ran an article titled 37 Who Saw Murder and Did Not Call Police. Yeah, no, it's that bad. <laughs> it's genuinely that bad. Um, 
alleged that multiple neighbors heard or even witnessed Genevieve's murder, but did absolutely nothing to help her. So, yeah. Um, The report was actually prompted by a conversation between Times editor A.M. Rosenthal and the police commissioner Michael Murphy, during which Murphy made a claim that was the basis for the entire article itself. So, (laughs) in my opinion, um, again, if I heard someone getting killed, my neighbor, um, I hope I would actually go and help her. Or help them, or, you know, help whoever it might be in this case. Um, 37 people were the amount of people that were living in the apartment building at the time. And this was all taken into account. Um, They were all interviewed, all everything. (laughs) Um, Some people denied that they even heard anything, while others said... Yes, we heard something, but we thought it was just a fight. Um, Others said they heard something, but they didn't know what to do. So they just didn't do anything. Lots of things happened in regards to that. But again, (laughs) this kind of leaves the statement as to why nobody contacted the police in the first place. Yeah, it gets a little little bad, doesn't it? Well, um, the newspaper actually followed it up the next several days with an analysis that was actually speaking to many psychological experts at the time, and why, basically about why people chose not to get involved with such a serious situation. And they actually started making a book Um, by the name, which is now released, you can actually go read it if you want to, called 38 Witnesses, the the Kitty Genovese Case. So you can definitely go and uh, look up this book. I do believe, if I'm thinking correctly, you can get it on Amazon as well as on Audible. But (laughs) if you really want to see, like, the psychology behind everything, or you just want to read up on the case... This is definitely a really good source you can go look up and read because that was actually wrote by one of the psychology experts of that case. So, yeah, extremely well informed. <laughs> um, so, the New York Times coverage has actually been seriously criticized um, to the point where they thought more but um, in general it's actually done a very huge social phenomenon and that's what the phenomenon is is people hearing horrible things happening but no one doing anything about it <laughs> um, yeah so if you ever want to know what that's called it's called the bystander effect <laughs> Um, It's horrible, again, but it's something that, you know, it's psychologically something that we all do, Um, especially in times of high stress, or in times where something doesn't make you think it should.
Um, but yeah, bystander effect. Um, it's actually the phenomenon effect, um, or they also call it actually the Genovese syndrome. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it goes to explain why people witness a crime but do not do anything about it. That's basically what the whole article, the whole thing, is actually about. So, ooh, squeaky chair. <laughs> Psychologist, 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 there it is, Bib Lantain and John Darley made their career studying the bystander effect and is actually shown in multiple, multiple clinical experiments that witnesses are less likely to help a crime victim if they are other witnesses. And the more witnesses, the less likely any one person will intervene. So, it's like that constant thought of, oh, someone else can take care of this, or someone else knows what they're doing better than I do. That's the bystander effect. (laughs) Um, The bystander effect was used by the press as a parable of morally bankrupt modern society, but... Again, it's not necessarily that. Um, people actually bring it up to losing compassion. All kinds of things. But again, it's all psychological and it's something that not everyone can control or even think about controlling, you know? So, um, this is decades later. So, decades following the murder a journalistic movement began to correct the misinformation uh, perpetrated by the New York Times. So in 2004, um, there's a journalist by the name of Jen Frassenberger, and he wrote an article for the Times, and it was actually going back to debunk the 1964 reporting of the Genovese murder. So (laughs) um, the article was actually in American Psychologist, um, all kinds of different things. So, that our, that whole entire article has actually been debunked and has actually been rewritten from what I understand. Uh, in 2015, Genevieve's younger brother, Bill, uh, produced and actually um, narrated the documentary called The Witness, which actually lays out the case against the Times reporting. And it's very, very interesting. If you get the chance to watch it, um, that would that would do it. <laughs> I guess extremely interesting, especially if you're into uh, the psychology of why people do things, you know, um, the psychology of journalism, all that stuff. I would definitely give it a shot. Definitely read it. Um, I mean, go watch it, not read it. You know what I meant. <laughs> um, and again, that's called The Witness. Um, <laughs> so kind of going back to the witnessing situation um only two neighbors have actually been shown to behave at the time of the murder in ways the times claimed that 38 people did so yeah (laughs) so intoxicated that night ross um carl ross who was one of their neighbors heard noises after um, deliberation. He cracked open his door to investigate 
and that's when he saw Genevieve actually lying on the ground. Um, he she was still alive and was trying to speak, and Mosley was still stabbing her. And he shut the door and actually called a friend to ask what to do. And the friend literally told him just to not get involved because it would get him in trouble for being involved. Yeah. And Ross actually eventually climbed out his window and went to the neighbor's apartment. (laughs) He called the police after hearing Sophia um, call for someone to do so. So that was, Sophia was the other neighbor. And, um, Ross's literal quote as to why he didn't want to do anything is, I didn't want to get involved. And that became the most famous, basically, quote for the bystander effect. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah. Unfortunately, um, there is something good that happened out of all this. So, the murder of Kitty is actually credited as one of the factors that that pushed the emergency 911 system into place. After New York City officials joined in a national effort involving officials in other cities, uh, it actually became the national emergency number in 1968. So, they... That is actually something good that came out of it. We do have 911 um, to thank for, you know, a murder, unfortunately, but we do have 911 now. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Basically, that is the end of the story. Um, some really good things that you can read up on if you really want to. Um, there's a website called The New Yorker, and in March 10th of 2014, um, there's an issue called A Call for Help. Um, you can definitely go look that up as well. Very good post there. Um, so, also, you can go to The Washington Post, and there's actually an article called Her Shocking Murder Became the Stuff of Legend, But Everyone Got the Story Wrong. And then there is actually another one called, um, it's a book that if you really want to read it, it's really interesting. It's called Kenny Genovese, The Murder, The Bystanders, and The Crime That Changed America. And that is by Kevin Cook. So if you want to go do some research of your own and you want to read about what happened and all that interesting stuff, I would highly recommend it. Um, This case again led to a lot of historical changes in America and it really shows some trauma that the LGBTQ community has went through um, due to Miss Kitty being part of that community and her girlfriend as well oh my gosh there was a bird that just flew over my head that was scary uh, <laughs> and when I say flew over my head, I mean he was probably like a foot over my head, so he wasn't in the sky, I promise. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this case was definitely interesting. It was, again, something I had to look up in my college class and actually study. So yeah, um, a lot of the information that I got from this, there's also a really great article 
on history.com that was released on May 21st of 2021 um, called Kenny Genovese so you can definitely look that up um, a lot most everything that you heard today actually came from the book the documentary this everything together <laughs> so um, yeah definitely give it a look um, read up about this case because it is a very important case to America and it's very important um, again to the LGBT community it's important to the 911 system now it's it's important for a lot of different things so give it a look um, do some reading uh, watch some videos you know anything you want to do there and I really do hope that you enjoyed this podcast and I hope that you enjoyed a little bit of a longer episode it's definitely different than what I typically do um so yeah if you like longer episodes like this let me know and we can do from that I also have um if you go to anchor and actually find this podcast I have my uh, voice messaging system open So you guys can leave me some voice messages. You guys can ask me questions on that. We can do whatever you really want to do. And we can kind of debunk some cases. You can recommend cases for me. And you may even be featured in the show. You never know. (laughs) Alright, you guys have a wonderful day. And I hope to see you again soon. Bye.